This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing. If you or a loved one need mental health assistance or are experiencing a mental health crisis, call Lifeline 24-7 on 13 11 14. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of FYI, All Things Mental Wellness. Our guest this week is a guy that has had a personal journey through mental ill health where he was diagnosed with severe anxiety and mild depression. He has a great story to share with us in how and why he became a counsellor. He will share with us his passion in mental health and in particular men's mental health. He's currently practicing as a counsellor and psychotherapist in private practice, and he's also the director of Positive Health Program for Life Again. In his spare time, he enjoys most things outdoors, including surfing and hiking. Nick Collum, welcome to FYI. Thank you, Nadia. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on. Great to have you on board, mate. Thanks, Bernie. Surfing and bushwalking. Hiking. Hiking, is it? So, so two, Anything two, mild, two wildly different locations. Well, I've moved recently moved to the Otway. So okay. thankfully they, they go hand in hand. Yeah, they Absolutely. do. I, uh, COVID was a, a, a severe uh, hit to my business at the time, but it mm-hmm. created an amazing opportunity for me to get out of the city, something I'd wanted to do for the last five or six years. Yeah, that's cool. So, so about a year or so ago, I moved down just north of Torquay and get to live the dream, surfing and, and hiking on the weekends and sneaking down for the odd lunchtime surf when I can. <laughs> yeah. Does that happen very often? It does. It does. Yeah. yeah good. More right. often than I'd like uh, to admit. Well, no, yeah. you, should, you should admit it. It's part of a work-life balance, isn't it? It is. It is. Although we get such good waves down here, it's hard to crawl out of the water and, and get back to the desk. There's more life <laughs> than work uh, balance. Yeah, yeah, but uh, no, it, it is great. It, it enables me to just have that reset. I find those sorts of things, getting out in nature, especially surfing, it's one of those things that just enables me to just be totally present there and it, it's almost, you know, half an hour meditation or something that just enables me to be really in the moment and, and getting that, that, I guess, flow state and everything just drops away and come back to the desk and I'm, I'm refreshed and good to go. So, yeah, it, it's a great tool. Call me a dumbass. What's a flow state? So a flow state is that state when everything else drifts away except for where you are at that moment. So we all have our different uh, things that bring us joy in life and the things that we might be really good at or we find real satisfaction in. So you might be a great footballer where when, you, when you've got the ball in your hand, nothing else matters. When, when you're when it's working, when you're, you're judging which way the, the opposition's coming towards you or you're reading the waves in a way that you maybe don't usually. It's like nothing else matters. You're just there and it's working. And, and we all, we've all probably experienced a flow state in our life when things just seem to work. It's where we Those want to days be the time, you get, you get the car park, that's it. And there's, there's a lot of actual, there's a lot of research around it. There's a lot of practitioners out there that do training around flow states. It's a bit of a thing, a bit of a new age sort of thing. And do you know yeah, what, Nick? Oh, I've never heard practice. that. I've never heard that terminology. Flow state. 
So I must be a mm. dumbass too, like you, Ben. Oh. Yeah, never no, heard of no, it. Certainly not dumbass. It's probably it's a state that I'm sure you know. Yeah, it's just a, a yes, name I for know it. Exactly it's what probably you mean. become a become a bit trendy. Yeah, yeah is that something that you practice and have trained in 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 your profession? Is that where you you help your clients get to? It's not something I've trained in. It's something I'm I'm definitely interested in. I've watched a few YouTube clips on it, and I guess through a mindfulness practice and the work that I do or the style in which I practice, it does lend itself towards bringing people to that state of presence. Um, it's a it's a slightly unique style uh, that I was trained in, so it does lend itself to that real presence, being in the moment mm. and getting out of your head, getting out of that thinking mind and being connected with other other elements. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, and thus the, the name of it, which is, is transpersonal, which is beyond the self. Yeah. Uh, so it's really connecting with all sorts of different uh, elements of our human experience. Yeah, cool. Yeah, right. So, Nick, I'm interested. We might go backwards just for something different tonight, Bernie. Rather than start at the start, maybe we could start now and, and work back with you as an individual so tell us a little bit about your career. I gave you an intro. You're a counsellor and a psychoanalyst. T- tell us a bit about... A psycho what? What's a psychoanalyst? Psychotherapist. A psychotherapist, psychotherapist. Uh, sorry. Okay. Psychotherapist. Freud, Freud was a psychoanalyst. I'm yes. a psychotherapist. Yes, of course yeah. you are. So what's the difference between that and a psychologist? <laughs> or where do you think... Uh, what is your so, genre? So my genre, I was trained as a transpersonal counsellor. So... Transpersonal, as I touched on a second ago, is an approach to counselling which looks at the whole self. It looks at the spiritual self. It looks at the physical body. It looks at the the mind. All elements, our relationships, it really looks at us as a whole. It doesn't focus on our thought patterns exclusively or our childhood exclusively. It really tries to encompass a whole human experience in the way that we work with clients. Mm-hmm. And it's a person-centered approach. So by that, it's psychobabble a little bit, but it's basically that we walk side by side with our clients. We're not, we're not the gurus. We don't have the answers. Mm-hmm. We don't give direction. We just support our clients to go on a journey, basically trying to hold up a mirror of sorts to just allow them to go where they need to go and trusting that the client has all the knowledge, all of the insight that they need to be able to heal and move through whatever they're moving through or get to wherever they want to get to. So coming back to the question, a counsellor is more focused on supporting somebody through something that's going on, enabling them to move from A to B at their own pace just walking with them, creating that safe space that they can feel comfortable enough to delve in and look inside and maybe find some of the root causes or maybe just find some tools that they need or some resources they need to be able to manage as they move through that. There you go. Answer that for you, Ben. Totally. All over that. So when you say you walk beside um, and, and, you know, the, the client that you're working with has all the answers what, what, what's your role other than being side by side? Are, are you 
making suggestions? Are you are you helping them with tools? I just want to understand if you know if I was potentially a new client, what what am I going to get from you, Nick? So you're going to get an environment where you feel safe to explore your inner world and to explore what's going on. Okay. So I would never I would never uh, give advice or direction. It's really just creating a space where there's safety okay. and where there's an unconditional positive regard. Mm-hmm. You know, Freud and Jung referred to it as temenos, which is this safe space, which is a really powerful thing. It's when we're really being heard. It's an empathic space. So it's listening to clients with empathy and holding them. And that in itself has a real power to enable people to actually heal and move things. Often we feel we need to do something. We need to fix it, to solve it. We need to learn something which is going to be the magic bullet and enable us to actually all of a sudden be better. But the alternative approach to that is just allowing it to be there. And it's very uncomfortable at times. And there's, there's a real difficulty for a lot of clients in being with their discomfort, in being with what might be making them unhappy. But the way through it in the school of psychotherapy that I was trained in is to really allow it to be there and allow it to, to show you what it needs to show you and start to explore it. And we have tools and techniques and I use it a few different processes, one in particular called focusing, which is a, a way into what's going on for us through the felt sense, through the physical body, where we start to identify what might be causing us psychological discomfort through our body, through our physical body, by, by feeling into our body and where is that, and then actually starting to have a dialogue with that part of our body. And it sounds a little bit out there, but it's, it's quite... It's quite powerful in that it's a it's a really direct way in, and and ironically, um, and almost counterintuitively, when we stop thinking, we get to the root cause far quicker. Our body has all the all the intelligence that it needs. And so, I suppose it stands to reason that if you're providing a space where, uh, let's take anxiety as a classic example, or well, not a classic example, but as an example, um, where anxiety builds on top of itself and it's a, it's a snowball effect often, um, you know, in an anxious, in an anxious state. And if you can provide a a space where that is accepted and, and I suppose deconstructed to a certain degree whilst you're in there, then yeah, the answers will come because it frees you up and because the anxiety is not building and building and building. As we all know, if if we've had an an anxious state at some point, you can't focus, you can't find the direction you need to be on your own unless you can put yourself into that super calm or like you said empathetic space where you can sit and go okay well I am where I am but I can I can for just five seconds or five minutes I can think about it and I've got the support of this person here with me to help me find a direction on my own I think that's Mm. that's what I take out Mm. of that that, is that a Mm. fair observation yeah absolutely yeah yeah 
Spot on. And I like that looking within. So, you know, not focusing, but being able to, you know, where where is it hurting or where am I uncomfortable? Because, you know, we are all one. It isn't all about having anxious thoughts and, you know, there, there's body issues that come with it, whether it's a, you know, for me personally, it's always a throat thing. It's a swallow thing. Some people it's, mm. it's in the tummy, it's, it's uneasy, it's in the head. So mm. yeah, I like that you look at the whole, the holistic, um, or the body as a whole, which is, yeah, it's great. How does a professional then cope with all of that? So no doubt you've had a journey to get to where you are, but when you're taking on and I don't know whether you do or you don't, but when you're seeing clients, do you take on a certain amount of their problem, not their problem, but of their position? So that, that, and if you're seeing multiple clients, does that build up and build up with you? So then do you need to then practice a way to be calm and be focused and, and sort things out in your own, compartmentalize things in your own world to, to keep moving forwards? How, how do you deal with that pressure that comes on yourself? I think it's the lunchtime search, Benny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, self-care is critical in in this work. And I think people that are drawn to it have often been through a journey of their own and they have uh, a certain level of empathy mm. and, and sensitivity to other people's uh, needs and challenges. So, oh, clearly yeah, that's, it's not, that's it's not definitely for something. You no, do have to be a no. very certain kind of person. And and it does it does weigh heavy. I noticed just on a I guess on a, a somewhat uh, superficial level, I sleep very, very deeply those the nights that I'm in the clinic all day. Or right. the nights of the days that I'm in the clinic all day. It's I am just I conk out. I'm absolutely exhausted. You're mentally crushed, um, aren't you? Mentally you so and even if it. I yeah, absolutely. But even if I feel okay, I just I just get so tired. So the energetically and just being connected and, and being present for that period of time definitely has a has a, a, a heaviness to it by the end of the day. But in terms of taking on people's stuff, there's always a transference. There's always uh, a, a amount that I take on, and I do need those tools and resources. And and that is often through a run most days in the afternoon just to reset so that I can go from workspace to, you know, coming back to being with my partner and just living my normal life. Yep. But also as therapists, we're, we're actually required to to have what's called supervision, which is basically our own, our own counseling, our own therapy, which is talking about our clients, but it's also dealing with our own stuff that's coming up because often – and more often than not, in fact, clients will bring things that we as therapists need to look at within ourselves. Sure. It's the nature of the work. And often things come up and there's there's a lot of fuel being added to the fire all the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do my own work. I have a lot of friends that are therapists. I also see a therapist at times of need. Yeah, I, I go for as many different support resources. Yeah. And I'd probably ask you that, mate, because not just as a counsellor or a, or a psychotherapist or an analyst or, you know, anybody in the health <laughs> professional world, pick a, pick a title, any title, um, that also is in 
what we might call day-to-day life. You know, in my career, in, in Josh's career, in, you know, in Nard's career, as people who deal with people face-to-face on a daily basis, no matter what you do, you take on part of that conversation that you've had with them. And that can trigger th- certain things within you, whether they mean to or not. Part of that you can pick up on and, and you walk away going, yeah, right, yeah, well, whatever, whatever, whatever in my head. But if you see 20 people a day and you have conversations with 20 people a day, yeah, you get to the end of the day and you're, you're stonkered just yeah. from, from taking it in and especially if, if they're expecting a result from you. So, you know, take for instance, if you, you might be a doctor and somebody will go to a doctor's surgery and they expected to give you a result. You might be a finance broker. You're expected to give a result at the end of that conversation to somebody. So you take mm. on a whole heap of their world. You're walking, the, like you said before, you're walking beside somebody during that journey. So in, 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 a, in a professional world, the things that you're saying that you do to protect yourself should be the takeouts for those of us that are listening to do for ourselves as we go forwards. You yeah, know, so absolutely. to find that sure. exercise or to find that escape or, or, or that one thing that gives you, what do you call it, the flow? The flow, the flow state. state. The flow yep. state, thank you. Whatever that is that gives you that flow state, you've got to find mm. it, don't you? Absolutely. And I think also coming to know yourself through the work, whether that is through counselling, whether it's through surfing, whether it's through podcasts, whatever, whatever your muse is, coming to know yourself at a depth that you can identify what's yours and what's someone else's. So often I think what, what you're talking about there can often be situations, yeah, we feel a trigger within ourselves, but I think we're very sensitive as human beings. There's a lot that we, you know, in, in terms of exchange, energetic exchange, we can actually feed off other people. And there can be a lot of beautiful, positive energy that we can gain from connecting with people. There can also be a lot of toxic energy. Oh, yeah. And often we can feel a certain way that's not actually, not actually our own. And that's something, circling back to, the, to your question, that's something I have to be very, very decisive with. Oh, it's pretty easy knowing- to end up living a, a down state, if you like, if that's all you hear mm. all day long. And it can be someone else's drama. Yep. Mm. Yeah, that's so, true. I think we can all. all so, how'd you get to where you are? So, I mean, there's obviously a bit of a journey there where you've got to where mm. you are now. And Nard said that you had you live a life of anxiety. Is that is that something that's built up over a period of time? Do you think that in your because what are you in your early twenties? <laughs> Very kind, Bernie. <laughs> I'm, I'm 37. Good. Um, um, so, yeah. Because, I mean, we've all got a life journey that we've got. Are you with me, Bernie? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a long way away from here to there, isn't it? It's the, it's the screen that makes us look good. Um, but we we all got a journey that we're working on. So at some point in your life, you picked up on the fact that, you know, anxiety was building in your life and then I'm guessing you got to a state where it was, well, not out of control necessarily, but it was it was taking on a life of its own or it was having an impact on your day-to-day life. Tell, tell us a bit about that, mate. Yeah, so... That goes back a long way, and I know Nadia, you wanted to to go backwards here, but we'll, we'll jump back. Don't to listen start. to Nadia all the time. Uh-huh. No one else does. When I was probably around fifteen, was my first experience of anxiety, and I didn't really know what it was. I was a very happy-go-lucky kid, loved my sport, 
did okay at school, everything was pretty cruisy. And then all of a sudden, I started to experience this thing, this, this powerhouse bodily sensation that was totally overwhelming. And I think I just rolled with that for a few years, not really knowing, just pushing it down, not really talking about it, not knowing what to do with it, what it was. And when I was about 18, finished school, started partying, having fun, in inverted commas, I think it was, looking back, I think it was probably a little bit of self-medicating and trying to deal with that anxiety uh, because it was it was very, very crippling. Uh, socially, it was very difficult for me. I'd always drink quite heavily at, at parties, and I know that's To what extent, normal. mate? Were you, were you at a point where you couldn't go out without having something to drink? You were at home fretting about what was going to happen? Yeah, yeah, I would. It would always. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be sitting at home stressing, not being able to leave the house, and if I didn't have a drink. But I'd, I'd be pretty nervous going into it, and I would know that drinking was going to be a big part of it. So was it? It was going to be a big part of what was going to get me through. Yeah, that social. Situation. So I'm trying to. What I'm trying to, because <clears throat> we're going to have um, teenagers listening to us, yep. and they'll yep. be drawing alliances with you. They're going, oh yeah, cool. I'm glad he said that. You know, at 15, yep. you know, this thing happened and, yeah, that's kind of the way I felt. So we're going to have people who will connect with what you're saying here. So I'm trying to work out possibly for them to draw some, some more alliances if, if, if it helps them. Is it to say, okay, well, is it a group environment? Were you, was it the anxiety about how you mixed in a group or, you know, was it, was it self-consciousness that was something that was building your anxiety? Is it okay to go there and, and see you know, uh, yeah. what's triggering? Happy to go there. More than happy to go there. I don't, I don't know the direct answer to that. I think it was the group environment. And that's something that I still feel somewhat triggered around. I've got much better at it. Uh, and I had a, had a year off the grog altogether last year as a bit of an experiment and went through that experience of going to And you're social, still alive. Uh, social gathering, right? I know. Who would have thought? Good job. I know. Thanks, man. And, and, and that was a challenge, going into those situations without a drink. Mm. And, not, and not even, I don't know if it was even the alcohol itself, but just the comfort of having something. Um, it's like cigarette and, smoking. Sometimes it's yeah, the habit there's, there's that a, makes you feel comfortable. That's it. that's it, yeah. So, And that's something that I've identified in men and I've created a program which actually incorporates that, which we, we can, if we've got time, maybe we can touch on a little later. That's but true. in terms of the social side of things, it, it's definitely the group environment. might have been a self-conscious thing as well. I think I was a really insecure, I, I, was, I had my insecurities. Uh, yeah, that's one thing I'd love to tell people though is when we're growing and when we're when we're becoming young adults, it is normal for us to feel insecure about ourselves. Will will there be acceptance from this one? Will we fit in with that one? Will we be able to actually hold a conversation with that person when we get there, or any of those people when we get there? Am I smart enough? They look smarter than me. They do this class. They do that class. They wear this. They wear that. Social acceptance is possibly one of the biggest anxieties that there is in a teenage life as we grow into young adults. And having been there, all we've all been there now because we're yeah. into our thirties and forties. Nadia's a bit <laughs> yeah, over thirty. I, 
I, I don't think it's just um, young adults either. I, I just think that's that's people in general. I don't think that's something we get better, or we may get better with, but yeah, still plenty of adults and people in their fifties like you, Bernie, that struggle with things like that. That's a great point because mm-hmm. I still do. You know, it's it's nothing for me to to have to really psych myself up to go into a large group environment. Um, mm. Yes, like you said, mate, we get better at it as we go along and, and I am way better now than what I ever was many years ago. Um, but that's practice and you learn skills on how to make mm. it work and how to get there. See, it's not a teenage thing. No, I don't mean that by any stretch of the imagination mm. because mm. we all deal as we go forwards and picking up on those little things that, that help us get to that point. Yeah. So, sure. so then and having those tools. Sorry, yeah, no, no, no. I was just going to ask you to continue then. So, you know, you're, you're obviously getting into a young adult, going out, hitting hard, the grog to, to try and, um, I guess, pull through and get through. Tell us a bit more. Yeah, so it, it evolved into party drugs, going to nightclubs. Most of my mates were doing that as well. We were we're all a little bit wild at that time, and it it felt very harmless. And for some, I think it really is. There is just that wild time of their life, and it's okay, and they grow out of it. For others, they're medicating or they're pushing things down or they're trying to survive that yep. stage of their life. Yep. And and I think I probably fell into the latter. And at 21, my best mate uh, committed suicide. Mm. So that was really the turning point for me in terms of coming to know mental illness and being touched firsthand in the most brutal manner, the impact of mental illness. And it knocked me for six. It absolutely, just my whole world my worldview, my understanding of, of everything shifted. I, for a period, probably hit the alcohol and drugs harder because mm-hmm. I just didn't know how to deal with it. And then I fell into a very deep depression about probably a year or two later. And I, start, I got some professional help and I was diagnosed and started to understand what was going on chemically and how these things had affected me and also started to understand my predisposition to it, that, that there was, there were all the signs early on and what I, my lifestyle choices had really amplified that and, or amplified my uh, experience of, of the anxiety and depression. So can I, can I be clear um, on that though? Can I, yeah, if you don't mind, absolutely. your predisposition to, to having depressive episodes isn't, necessarily triggered by your use of party drugs and and alcohol? No, no, not necessarily. Because to put the two together is, I don't want people to think that because you went down that road that then you became predispositioned to whatever else was going on afterwards. You know, it's, that's not it. That's not what you were saying. What you were saying was your personality and who you are is what you've then found out afterwards after exploring and getting some mental health and, and some help along the way to identify that position. Yeah, so I would say it's a, it's a fair point you make. I would say that I did have those things 
bubbling away already. I had the anxiety there. I had had experiences or bouts of mild depression. And you're right, there's no, there's no proof or anything to show that, or hard and fast rule to say that, yes, that's what led towards that. But I dare say that my lifestyle choices and taking drugs when I was in an unstable psychological state amplified that experience. Yep, good call. Mm. Yeah, that, that yep. makes perfect sense, absolutely. Yeah. So um, you got some help. What, what, how old were you when, obviously your mate was 21, I can only presume you're of similar age. Yep, I was 20. Yep. So yeah, around 22, 23, got some help, started seeing a, a fantastic psychologist, uh, it, as I say, really, really helped frame it for me. I started to understand what I was dealing with and that, that I was dealing with something that it wasn't me. It was something that was going on. It was mm-hmm. something that was happening to me. And, and I started to have that separation. And that gave me some sense of, I guess, being empowered in the situation, that this was something that I could actually deal with. And I understood illness, I understood injuries. I'd grown up playing footy and I knew that if you if you do the right rehab, you do the right you come back from an injury. And I started to make that connection. So yeah, I guess from there, the the latter years of my twenties, I did a lot of self exploration. I I did a lot of travel. I started to understand myself. I did a bit of I guess went down the spiritual rabbit hole, took myself off to India for a year and took off on a motorbike and learnt uh, more than I could have, I think, in 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 eighteen years of school that that year yeah. it was definitely. Why the, is that? Is yeah. it because the, my perception is that it's such a stripped back place that you have to immerse yourself in in the society and and find yourself with nothing to be able to get in touch with yourself. Is that is that what it was like for I you? I think that sums it up really well. Yeah, it's. It, it's just raw. There's there's a billion people just trying to get along, trying to make their way. There's everything from most severe poverty through to insane riches and everybody just in this melting pot and there's this deep sense of spirituality and it's a 7,000-year-old spiritual land where animals are worshipped and, you know, you see cows strolling down the middle of busy freeways and cars going around them and... Mm. There's, it's just backwards. Everything that we know, everything that I knew was just turned on its head. And it was just wild. It's, it's like you're just beaten around the head with culture and challenged in the, the most extreme ways every day. And yet, you know, count, countless times. Yeah, and they make it work with they make that it work. many people. Imagine yeah. our society with that many people. It, that melting pot you're talking about, that surging. Mm. beast of a, mm. of a society with our yeah. current moral standing and, 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 and inputs from media and corporates and yeah, well, I just don't think we'd survive. No, I think it really opened, opened up my eyes anyway cool. to the, I guess, the limitations did of you our, I did. Wow. I did, yeah. You did throw yourself in. I really did. I really did. Yeah. Wow. That's yep. a huge thing. Even just for a person who's openly said that you've suffered anxiety, you suffer anxiety as you go forwards, to take that massive step 
where'd you get the, where'd the balls come from to, to sit back and go, oh, I'm going to take a big deep breath here and this is what I'm going to do if I don't freak myself out first. Yeah. So my brother had a shotgun wedding in Nepal. Mm-hmm. He, he had been seeing a, a girl for a lady for two months and they decided to get married. And my whole family flew over to Nepal. Nepal is very similar to India in many ways. It's, it's, it's far more, uh, I find it far more gentle and, and a little bit softer than India. But nonetheless, it's, it's the same culture shock and extreme opposite to what I knew here. And I went over with my family. I crashed their honeymoon, which was going to India, and, <laughs> and ended up what having- the hell? There's five billion other people over there. You might as well go <laughs> That's too. It, right? So <laughs> no privacy that, there. That me. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I had two weeks in India, and it just, something was ignited within me. And I came back, and I wasn't, I wasn't the same. I wasn't able to settle back into my job. I was, I was, I'd been in a-, a career for six years or so at that point and I just couldn't settle I was in a long-term relationship for about eight years and I had to explain to her that something had shifted within me and I needed to go and understand what that was I needed to learn who I was beyond this culture this society this relationship this job who I was the, the picket fence and the the cars and the the house and everything that we had built, all of a sudden didn't make any sense to me. And yeah, I guess I just, you know, the, the old cliche of kind of stripping everything back to, to really understand who I was without all of that. Mm. So yeah, I just Powerful. had to go. Just, I just needed to do it. I, I don't know. So what changed, what, what changed on your return, Nick? So coming back to to, to Australia, poor. <laughs> had nothing. Yeah, I was pretty raw. Um, <laughs> I I think I learned enough about myself over there that I wanted to work with people and that I wanted to make a difference. Knowing the impact of losing Richard, my best mate, I really wanted to make a difference in men's lives. I didn't know how or where I was going to be able to do that. I just knew that that was something that I really wanted to do. And I think just coming back to knowing myself a little bit better, I had the confidence to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and also feeling like I gained some insights that may be really beneficial to, to people or men in particular here that hadn't necessarily ventured out of their comfort zone. So yeah, I think I, I just came back a little bit more grounded and connected to myself, I guess. So did did the career change then happen? What was obviously you, you it was a transition of some sort because you know, you've gone from one career to another, I'm guessing. Yeah, so I came back and that's when I started my studies. And I I actually came out of I completed my studies and then I had an opportunity to get into the food truck game. And the lure of of the bright lights and the festival world took me took me down a rabbit hole which was a wild adventure for about seven <laughs> years. And and I I I worked 
in the counselling and psychotherapy space concurrently with that, but never in a real professional capacity. It Here's was your taco. More... How are you feeling today? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Amazing how many D&Ms you have at a festival. Oh, I don't doubt that. People pouring their heart out over the counter. It's, it's a common thing. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, I had the opportunity to have a business that sustained me while I kept working in the men's workspace. And I did a lot of volunteer work through Men's Wellbeing Australia. They put on all sorts of different events, one in particular, Menergy. Um, I jumped on the organizing committee for that um, after I attended the event, which just changed my life completely. 250 blokes out in the bush, dropping the guard, dropping the bullshit, just showing the real depth, you know, the vulnerability, sharing, you know, not, not dissimilar to, to yourself, Bernie, a few minutes ago, just sharing those parts of yourself around vulnerability and, you know, and having these insecurities, things that we generally don't talk about as blokes. So that really showed me what was possible within Australia and, and how men could be. And I saw a different version of a man. I had a, I had a very different version of a man as a father, you know, to that. And that was my first real experience of older men being really vulnerable and open. And I just thought, fuck, this is something we need as young men. Yeah. And this is why, well, it's not why, but it's a really, in my opinion, a significant contributing factor to why men are killing themselves. This toxic masculinity and not having positive role models is, is really, really difficult for, for young men to, to find their way yeah. and get and be able to speak and get the support when they need it. And you certainly can't teach young men that. The only way I believe that you can teach young men that is to show young men that. Mm. You know, lead by example, walk the walk, um, because... Um, and, and I'm the same. I, I look to my father and to grandfathers and, and uncles around uh, in my life, and they learn from theirs and they learn from theirs. So as each generation comes past, we have an opportunity to be better and better and better for the mm. generation following us. And, and I don't reckon that my dad's generation ever had the conversations that we're having right now, mm. ever. You know, not they might have had it with I, I a suppose friend. the danger there is we, we don't want to continue some of that behaviour because well, we don't. some of that behaviour is is quite detrimental. So Completely. But on the flip side of that, there is some beautiful men in the world mm. gone past. So we can't always we can't just generalize oh, and say, I mean, you know, your father, my father, your father potentially, and yours, who knows? That um, you know, even though that they learned a certain way of being and the bravado and the and the and the shield that they carried because mm. they had to succeed at all costs because they were the father and they had to, you know, lead by example, the way they thought they had to lead by example and not show the insecurities um, for fear of somebody thinking that there was a weakness there and therefore they couldn't hold their role in society. We don't have to do that. Mm. And there, there are people out there in generations gone past who were much like us but never had an opportunity to find voice. And this podcast, what you're doing, what Josh does off to the side with his comedy show and you know comedy is a great catalyst for people to start conversations and to break down stigmas as they go forwards the things that we're able to do now 
that just didn't exist back then. You know, mm. there were there were men's clubs. There was, you know, I remember my dad was a member of an Apex club, which I was too. But those type of men's organisations, and less so women's organisations, you know, there was the CWA and there was the different things that women could also go to. And we talk about men's health and we always talk about, you know, how we specifically should be, um, you know, looking after our men because they don't talk to each other. I wholeheartedly agree with that and I, and I live that life. But I also think on the other side of things that, that women do the same thing. We all think that they talk to each other all the time. They don't. Mm, They're agree. as isolated as anybody else is in day-to-day mm, society. Mm. But to champion what we're doing, what you're doing with, what was it called? The men that went out in the bush was called men. Menergy. Menergy, and I'd never heard of it before, and I'll, I'll look that up when I get home because I think that's an exciting concept. Things like that that can be put out there for us all to take part in, whether that be menergy or whether, you know, you've got to get people to go to it. So I don't know what you call it for younger people to go to and do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, somehow you've got to attract people to get to these things. Should also have that kind of thing for women. Mm, absolutely. Right. Yeah, I mean, look, there has been and there there still are some more women-orientated organisations, but it it seems to be over, you know, on a scale. There's far much more for men, I guess. Emphasis has been pushed our way and and rightly so. I mean, rightly so because the evidence was there that men generally don't don't speak and don't seek help. and Mm. The numbers were suggesting or not suggesting. No, 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 I I think it's fair. But um, yeah, absolutely. So you went to yeah. you went to Manergy. You had a truckload of blokes in the bush dancing around fires, <laughs> all naked. No. <laughs> 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 um, it's a it's I'm not a going very there. interesting event. Yeah. So this is the thing. It's actually what I was going to comment on on your point there, Nadia, around just and, and I made the observation around what you guys are doing here with your podcast in really normalizing it, making it accessible, making it really palatable for the people that aren't necessarily comfortable going out to the bush and dancing around the fire naked with a bunch of blokes. Yeah. Anyway, there's a lot that are, and there's a lot of those things that happen, yeah, but yeah. there's, there's got to be this approach of just making it really normal. And Menergy bridges that where it's really accessible to, to, to normal guys. Yeah. Um, and, and you don't want to make it something that it's not. But for the sake of this conversation... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Because if we yeah. if we make it out to be something that's this ooh, weirdos all going off into the bush, it's not. It's yeah. just blokes getting together and talking about being blokes at the end of the day. Mm. Some of us some of us go fishing to do that. Some of us, you know, do other different bits and bobs. But to have a formalized way of doing things where you find a group that you're comfortable with, I think that's awesome. Mm, absolutely. Um wanted to make the point, and I know the, the connection uh, to Nadia was, was through Josh. Yep. And some, the way that I connected with him was through a program called the Secret Men's Business Barbecue, which was something that I came up with after attending Menergy. And just in light of what you're saying, Bernie, in making this accessible, making it normal, making it easy and palatable, this is a, a way for men to get together and have a barbie and just catch up and talk about what's going on, have a couple of beers, and just check in over dinner where they're at, how they're doing, not be fixed, not be told what they need to do to solve their problems. Just have a space to say, you know what, guys, 
I'm fucking struggling or I'm feeling this or I'm feeling that. So and tell me, I think you're absolutely right, but how do we train enough people to be the catalysts to host those events? Because a lot of guys will say, yeah, great idea, Burn. Yeah, bloody ripper, you organise it. Bloody great idea, mate, you organise it. Because they don't know how. And they don't know how to start or continue the conversations. How do we fix that? So what I've created is a website called thesecretmensbusinessbarbecue.com.au with a how-to manual. So in terms of the practicalities, it's all there. Good. It's literally A to Z, step by step. In terms of changing the culture, it's what we're doing here. This, mm-hmm. These conversations, it's it's the boys that pucker up, it's the tomorrow man, it's the you know the Movember, it's having the conversation, it's just making it normal. It's yeah, I think it's really just destigmatizing and making it part of everyday life that it's okay, mm. it's right to have a chat. And I think it starts starts from leadership within companies, it starts from the president of the footy club. It's it's yeah, I'll often try and. You know, approach a leader of the pack. I think it, it really comes from the, that alpha male being willing to show yep. vulnerability. And you can be 19 or 20 years old or 50. Mm. What the tools that they can get from your website will be usable for anybody, wouldn't it? You don't have to have world life experience to, to take that on. No, no, not at all. Cool. Not at all. So. Billboard. You're going to ask um, oh. young Nick about his billboard, Bernie. I know yeah. you. G'day, Nick. How's your billboard? <laughs> That's a weird thing to say, Nadia. <laughs> I uh, dare not encroach on your. Um, it's become. It's become. A, yeah, it's just sort of become one of those things where I ask this question, mate. If we could give you a billboard, a great big billboard that everybody could see, what would you write on it as your message to society that you'd like to get out? Hey guys, producer Josh here. Just wanted to jump in quickly to let you know that secretmensbusinessbarbecues.com.au that was just mentioned by Nick is actually not online anymore, but there still is a Facebook page at facebook.com slash secretmensbusinessbbq. That's facebook.com slash secretmensbusinessbbq that is still online. Also, we've included all links for today, including lifeagain.org.au in the show notes where you're listening. Okay, enough of me. We'll jump back in with Nadia, Bernie, and Nick. To all the men out there, vulnerability is strength. I like that. Vulnerability is strength. And I would copy it. But I would put to all the women, vulnerability is strength. Yeah, why not? Beautiful. Absolutely. I like that yeah, I like because that, that, you can take that in, in half a dozen. Yeah, I like that. There's good angles on that one, buddy. Nick, can you tell us a bit about life again? Because I know it's Love to. one of you. Life, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, life again is a fantastic organisation. I uh, met the founder about 12 months ago, Gareth Andrews. He's an ex-AFL footy player. He had his own journey with mental illness. He hit the wall, as he calls it, in his mid-50s, fell into quite a severe depression, and came out the other side with 
a new lease on life and a desire to bring this message to the men of Australia that it's okay to talk, that it's okay to feel shit out. And he's actually trademarked that term feeling shit out because he's really trying to target blokes that understand that sort of language. So he's gone on his own for the last five, I think almost six years, messaging as far and as wide as possible through TV, radio, all sorts of different channels and has come to the point where he wants to take his message into action and to deliver programs, which is where he's brought me on uh, as Director of Positive Health Programs. And we're now starting to deliver programs through the corporate space and through different organisations. Uh, leveraging his connections with Aboriginal communities. So Gareth, over the last six or seven years, has taken, or sorry, five or six years, has taken groups of men out on country to meet with Aboriginal elders that he has very close personal relationships with as a way to get them out of their normal life, out of their normal normal environment to connect with themselves. And through doing that, he realised that there's real power in the connection between Indigenous and non-Indigenous men, and in particular, non-Indigenous men learning from Indigenous men and the ancient wisdom of that culture. And there's incredible positive mental health benefits. So in terms of the preventative health approach that Life Again takes, we've identified an opportunity to really connect Indigenous and non-Indigenous men really focusing on the, on the positive mental health outcomes that come from that, in that preventative health. You know, our pillars of life, again, are connection, storytelling, and giving back. So getting out on country and connecting with yourself, connecting with nature, connecting with others, connecting with other cultures, getting an opportunity to hear stories, ancient stories of the land, spiritual stories, stories from Aboriginal elders, and tell your own story to create yarning circles, a space where men can be how they have been in Aboriginal culture for the last, what, 60, what are we up to, 100,000 years, they believe now. So there's a really unique opportunity in what Life Again is doing for men to experience not only Aboriginal culture and being on country and history, but actually coming to know themselves in a way through that lens that they may not have had the opportunity to before. So it's a very long answer. In short, it's, a, it's around preventative health, preventative mental health more specifically, trying to stay ahead of the curve, stay upstream of, of mental health issues and not focusing on depression and anxiety, more on ways that we can actually get men engaging in their life, get men engaging with different ways of being happy and I guess connecting with that flow state that we to keep circling back to. Well, it's a winner because we've become more and more and more isolated as Mm. our generations have gone on. We don't go out and seek necessarily new opportunity or different views on the way we take Mm. life on. We're happy to have it thrown at us Mm. but not go and seek different ways to, no, to interpret I just things. Like, so that's a winner. Yeah, I just like that it's it's in the preventative um, space. You know, we're not waiting. We're, we're trying to be more, well, life again is being more proactive. Step forward. Yeah, There's no exactly. point talking about it after someone has ended their own life. Correct. Let's mm. talk about mm. 
how good life can be way before that ever happens. Correct, correct. Yeah, yeah. That's and awesome. it's really based on that positive psychology model, which mm-hmm. is around positive emotion and engagement and relationships and meaning and purpose in our lives and activity, being active. So it's really trying to embed positive habits and, and, and new learnings that can start to become ways of being in the world that actually, I guess, stop us from falling into the hole as deeply. We're always going to have times where there's ups and downs, but these tools can really help keep us Just need to learn how to go with the flow. Get in the flow Flow state. Flow state. It's all about the flow state. state. If we've learned anything, we've learned that, Bernie. Nick, thank you so much. And and that that's just so exciting. Life again. It I can is. see why you're smiling from ear to ear. It's mm. obviously something you're very passionate about yourself. Thanks, Nadia. Yeah, it is. Thank you so much. Now we end, as you know, because I know you've listened to all our episodes. Um, we end with a bit of um, light humour. Well, sometimes it's humour, sometimes it's not. <laughs> Going to ask you six quick questions, Nick, if you could answer them as quickly and as honestly as you can. Oh, it doesn't need to be quick, I guess. But yeah, it does. Whiskey, whiskey or rum? Rum. Text or call? Text. Giving or receiving? Giving. Facebook or Instagram? Facebook. High school or neither? Or mm. neither. Oh. Uh, high school or adult life? Adult life. Are you a scruncher or a folder? Scruncher, all the way. Hey. <laughs> Squaring up the ledger on the scrunch <laughs> and the fold. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Folding. Well, you know, we're not. Uh, we're not. We don't get into the Freudian side of things and we don't uh, deeply analyse why you prefer rum over whiskey and all the rest of it and we put you into a hole. It's just a little bit of lighthearted fun. See how you go. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate your sharing. We appreciate your enthusiasm, um, your interaction with the world and what you're doing. And and for sharing with us, you know, your journey of life Mm. and, and, and breaking down the fact that, you know, we are imperfect. We are going to do what happens to us. And if you can find your flow state and if you can go with it, keep your balance, mm. keep your, you know, the, the balance tipping in the, in the, in the fun side of life, if you want to call it that, then, and then that's what we can take out of it. So and and reach well out then. to these wonderful organizations that are out there. Um, I'm going to log in and check out the barbecue thing. That's, yeah. that's a win-win. Yeah, there's there's For a sure. lot there, so yeah, absolutely use what's there. Thanks, Nick. Take it easy, mate. Thank Have a blast. You, Thanks, Thank heaps. You, Thank See you. Ya. See ya. Gotcha. This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing.